blowout. Senator Bernie Sanders wins with a broad coalition in Nevada. Let me thank the people of Nevada for their support. As his opponents try to slow his momentum. Senator Sanders believes in an inflexible, ideological revolution. But are they too late? And pivotal point. Candidates setting their sights on South Carolina and Super Tuesday. We're alive and we're coming back and we're going to win. With a huge number of delegates up for grabs, can anyone catch up to Sanders? Former Democratic presidential candidate and party chairman Howard Dean and political advisor Mark McKinnon join me. Plus, Russian rerun? Intelligence officials brief lawmakers about Russia's interference in the election again. They are trying to cause chaos. They're trying to cause hatred. Is it working? Democratic Senator Chris Murphy joins me to discuss in moments. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington. Welcome to the special Nevada caucus edition of our show where the state of our union is watching voters feeling the burn. Senator Bernie Sanders has taken one more step closer to the Democratic presidential nomination after an overwhelming victory in Nevada's caucuses last night. The votes are still coming in, but right now the Vermont senator's victory is not just impressive numerically, but demographically. And it's one he promised to replicate across the United States. In Nevada, we have just put together a multi-generational, multi-racial coalition, which is going to not only win in Nevada, it's going to sweep this country. Former Vice President Joe Biden appears to be in second place behind Sanders in Nevada, so he lives to fight another day, and he now looks to South Carolina voters to revive his campaign, but with early momentum and a half dozen candidates splitting the non-Sanders Democratic vote, Sanders could be on track to winning a prohibitive number of delegates in just the next two weeks. A possibility that former South Bend, Indiana Mayor Pete Buttigieg warned voters about in stark terms last night. Before we rush to nominate Senator Sanders in our one shot to take on this president, let us take a sober look at what is at stake. CNN reporters are covering the Democratic campaigns from coast to coast this morning as they move on to the next voting states. Let's start with CNN national correspondent Athena Jones in Austin, Texas, with the Sanders campaign. And uh, Athena, Sanders gave his Nevada victory speech last night in San Antonio, Texas. Hi, Jake. It's pretty remarkable. That is a sign of a confident candidate and a confident campaign. The fact that he had already moved on here to Texas, which is one of the biggest delegate prizes on Super Tuesday, now a couple of weeks away. It showed that he was confident they'd do well in Nevada. You know, he lost Nevada, the Nevada caucuses to Hillary Clinton back in 2016, but he came out uh, way ahead uh, last night. He did very well among Latinos, winning Latinos, and also adding uh, to his support by about five points among uh, black voters. And so uh, the interesting thing about Nevada, about Texas, is that these are among the first big, diverse states. And so that was one of the big questions facing not just Bernie Sanders, but all of these candidates was, can he expand his coalition? Well, he said, look, on the ground, uh, they were able to do it. Uh, they were confident in their organization. Uh, they, they did a lot of Latino outreach. Uh, they're going to do or they're planning to do and hoping to do uh, the same thing uh, here uh, in Texas, uh, where there is a huge <coughs> black and Latino population, which makes up about half of, of, of the electorate.
different uh, here in Texas. Uh, early voting is an important thing to mention here, and that is uh, that began last Tuesday. It goes until Friday. And so the fact that he's done uh, now, it's going to be four rallies by the end of today in some of the biggest cities in Texas. He's trying to get that energy, uh, uh, draw out uh, what he calls a multiracial, multiracial, multigenerational coalition to help him get over the finish line uh, here in Texas as well, and to do a lot of that work uh, during early voting. Jake. All right, Athena Jones in Texas. A CNN senior Washington correspondent Jeff Zeleny is in Charleston, South Carolina. That's the state former Vice President Joe Biden has called his firewall. And Jeff, Biden was polling strongly in South Carolina a couple months ago. Does it remain his firewall? Can he count on winning there? Well, Jake, there's no question that he must win here. The next six days are the most important for Joe Biden's political career, and this is why. If he does not revive his candidacy here in South Carolina with a win and a convincing win, his candidacy will not be able to go forward. The question of a firewall is an open one. He's going to be making that argument as he travels around South Carolina. Carolina for the next several days. He flew here overnight from Nevada. He'll be meeting with voters on Sunday afternoon and throughout the week. And the question is, can he make that argument that he is the strongest candidate to win in the fall? It's an open one because the race has changed. This was not what Joe Biden was expecting. He was always hoping that South Carolina would uh, launch him onto Super Tuesday, and it still might. But now the question is, um, even as a win here, is that enough for him? I was talking to one of his top supporters last evening who said that that there is still a path for Joe Biden, no question. 60% of the Democratic electorate in the primary here is African-American. So Joe Biden is going to be counting on that. But he does not have as much money as his opponents. He is not advertising as much as his opponents. So it is very much a argument that he is going to you know, be making without the resources that others have. And the fact that Super Tuesday comes three days after the South Carolina primary, a challenge for him as well. But Jake, if Joe Biden is going to revive himself, it is going to happen here in South Carolina. He'll start that argument here today. Jake. All right, Jeff Zeleny in Charleston, South Carolina. Thanks so much. Let's dig now into the state of the race. Joining me now, former Democratic presidential candidate and former DNC chairman Howard Dean and former presidential advisor uh, Mark McKinnon, who worked for George W. Bush. Uh, thanks so, so much to both of you for being with us. Uh, Governor Dean, let me start with you. You've said that, quote, any attempt to derail Bernie that I've ever seen has always blown up in the face of the derailer. You and he have a history going back decades, obviously, in Vermont. Do you think Bernie Sanders is going to be the Democratic nominee? Uh, look, I think it's much too early to tell. I do think his win was incredibly impressive, not so much because of the margin, but because you really, we, our core base are young people, people of color and women. And he really nailed two of those. I haven't seen the breakdown on gender, uh, but he, you know, so he's on his way, but he's, we got a long way to go here. I mean, I don't think we're going to have any cogent idea of who's really going to end up at the convention uh, until after uh, the Tuesday past Super Tuesday. So three weeks from now, we're going to have a really good idea who the players are. Right now, we have six viable candidates. All right, Mark, let me ask you. Sanders has now won the popular vote in Iowa, uh, as well as outright winning uh, the New Hampshire primary and the Nevada caucuses. Uh, realistically speaking, Mark, do you think there's any way to stop him? Uh, actually, I don't, Jake. The fact is the Sanders train has left the station. Impressive win in Nevada across the board is as the governor said, kind of across all demographic groups. This is a 78-year-old man attracting young voters. So there's something going on here that defies the conventional wisdom. And I think, I'll disagree with the governor a little bit here, which is to say he's going to come out of South Carolina in pretty good shape, it looks like, and now he's got tons of resources for Super Tuesday across the board. So I think in pretty short order, not only is he going to be prohibitive front runner, but I think he's running up margins that make it much harder 
for anybody else to go into the convention and say, listen, even though you don't have a majority, uh, we, we should we should contest this because he's just running up the numbers in such such a fashion beyond expectation. I think it gives him a much stronger hand in Milwaukee. Governor, are you afraid of what it might mean for the Democratic Party in terms of winning the White House in November or winning down ballot tickets uh, if Bernie Sanders is a nominee? Does that concern you? Not at all. I'll tell you why. Um, he certainly is a polarizing candidate, but we have an incredibly polarizing person on the other side. Our, as I said before, he showed last night that he can energize our core base. I am a, a believer in the theory that it isn't swing voters. Uh, that's th the definition of a swing voter is somebody who votes or doesn't vote, not somebody who's going to go back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. So my definition of a swing voter, if he continues to do this, uh, I do think he's going to be the nominee, but I'm not ready to say that. There's five other competent uh, people who are all and There's going to be another debate. We're going to see more there. Uh, but certainly, I think I'd probably rather be where Bernie is than anybody else. Mark, I've heard uh, some people who are skeptical of Bernie Sanders in November, some Democrats say that the only way to stop him is for other non-Sanders candidates to drop out. So it's really just ultimately a choice between Sanders and whether it's Bloomberg or Biden or whatever. What do you think of uh, people who are theorizing about that? What do you think about those theories? Well, I think there's some practicality in that theory. There needs to be a co coalescing on the uh, moderate lane of this primary. And it's probably going to happen here in short order. I think uh, Amy Klobuchar is likely to drop out and, and, and maybe others after Super Tuesday. But, uh, you know, the fact is that you've got Biden and you've got Bloomberg who are likely to go a pretty long way down the line. But at the end of the day, the problem is that Bloomberg had such a poor debate performance, he's not in very good standing to say that even he has a lot of delegates that he should be the nominee, and Biden just doesn't have the resources. Governor, uh, Pete Buttigieg took aim uh, at Senator Sanders last night in his speech. He called Sanders' campaign, quote, an inflexible ideological revolution that leaves out most Democrats. Is he wrong? No, look, I, I'm happy to have that debate. That is what the debate about this primary is. Look, this is a contest for the most powerful office in the world. So you, you, people are going to say things like that, and they should. I mean, that's what the debate is about. And that's what the Democratic Party gets to decide in this process leading up to Milwaukee. I'm very comfortable with that. There are not any of these candidates that I would be worried about uh, getting our nomination. I think, you know, this is an amazing year when you have six people still left in the race. When I was there, there were three people, not one of the lowest of which was me. And I limped along till Wisconsin before I finally dropped out, leaving it a race between Kerry and Edwards. And Kerry came in first in every one of those. So this is a really unusual year. We've got a lot of talent. Uh, and I'm not worried about what people say. The, look, the voters will punish people if they don't like what they're saying. And, and Mark, let me ask you, because I remember a different insurgent Democrat from Vermont uh, running for president in 2004. Uh, his name was Howard Dean. And there were a lot of people in the Democratic establishment fretting about whether or not he could beat George W. Bush. But I also know that there were people in the Bush campaign that were worried about Howard Dean getting in the nomination because he might be able to energize young people and grassroots Democrats. What do you think? Great point. Well, I can tell you for a fact we were much more worried about Howard Dean than we were John Kerry. Why? Because <laughs> oh, don't tell me that now. <laughs> clear convictions. And I think there's a lot of that in Bernie Sanders, too. I think, again, it's conventional wisdom that because of where he is ideologically, it'd be easier for Trump and Republicans to beat. But he's creating a passion among voters 
the same kind of passion you see among Trump voters. So again, I think you just throw out the playbook. I think Republicans may regret what they asked for in the end of the day, uh, because because Sanders has got a narrative and his narrative is very much like Trump's, ironically, which is the system is rigged. You're getting screwed. He just has a different prescription and a different cause. I want to give you, Governor, uh, the last word there. I mean, you, you, you would have been able to pose a, a starker contrast with Governor Bush in 2004. I would have. But, you know, the problem is I was not, not all that well organized. And I said a few things that I probably would have been better if I hadn't said. So, you know, what, it, it is what it is. And again, there, there's an example, though. You can't tell uh, who's going to win. I was something like 20 points ahead about three weeks before the Iowa caucuses, and I didn't win the caucuses. Uh, and so we don't know what's going to happen yet. Let's not all get this is a, a democratic process. I even think it's a really good process. Everybody complains about how long it is and all that. I, again, if you're this is I used to say this all the time. Now it has a new meaning. But if you're not tough enough to get through this process, what are you to do when Putin asks for Alaska back? Well, unfortunately, we have a president who would give it to him today. But hopefully that'll change. Alaska's still still part of the United States as of right now, just for the record. Uh, yep. Gov Governor, yeah, Gov right. Governor Dean Mark McKinnon, thank you so much. Appreciate both your time. Kick it, Jake. My thank next you. guest said our democracy is like a frog slowly being boiled to death, but slowly. So we can't tell. Senator Chris Murphy joins me next on President Trump's intelligence community crackdown and new claims about Russian interference in the 2020 election. Stay with us. Welcome back to the State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. We learned this week that the U.S. intelligence community has warned lawmakers that Russia is already trying to interfere in the 2020 presidential race. Senator Bernie Sanders confirmed a Washington Post report that he was briefed by officials that Russia is trying to aid his campaign in the primaries as part of Russia's overall disruption campaign. While President Trump and a top aide are now denying what an intelligence official told lawmakers in a briefing that the Russians have a preference for President Trump. A national security official tells me that the briefer may have overstated and mischaracterized the intelligence regarding Trump, which as of now does not suggest the Russians have a preference, though they do believe they can work with President Trump. Joining me now Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut. He's a member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Uh, Senator, thanks so much for being here. I want to ask about something um, that National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien uh, was asked about on a different show uh, about Russia interfering in the 2020 election, specifically the Bernie Sanders element of it. He said, quote, there are these reports that they want Bernie Sanders to get elected president. That's no surprise. He honeymooned in Moscow, unquote. What's your response to that? Well, our national security advisors should stay out of politics, uh, and that is a political statement. Um, what we know is that the Russians never stopped interfering in American politics. They don't just get involved in elections. They are involved every single day. And analysis of what they've been doing on Twitter since 2016 has been pretty clear. They are weighing in over and over again in support of right-wing causes, in support of Donald Trump's political agenda. And of course, it stands to reason that they want Donald Trump reelected because he has been a gift to Russia. He has essentially ceded uh, the Middle East to Russian interests. He has accomplished more in the undermining of NATO than Russia has in the last 20 years. Uh, and he continues to effectively deny that they have um, an ongoing political operation here in the United States that by and large is intended to support Donald Trump and his allies. So the Trump people would push back. They would say that he has actually gotten NATO members to spend more on defense than previous presidents have been able to do, which is factually correct, that he is spending more 
on the U.S. military than previous presidents, which, which is also uh, correct. And in fact, uh, that, you know, all of this is hostile to what Russia would want. So what we know is that NATO is weaker today than ever before. The fact that Donald Trump has uh, questioned whether or not the United States would even come to the defense of a NATO ally in the future um, is a, an invitation to Russia to continue to probe at our borders. And of course, the entire impeachment scandal was over the Trump administration's weakening of Ukraine, uh, taking that country and turning it into uh, just another political actor in the United States, which is going to uh, once again send a message to Russia that they can uh, try to move uh, on countries on their periphery without any real consequences from the United States. Which they have not done, we should, we should note. I want to ask you, Sanders' campaign manager cited this quote from O'Brien that I read to you in a tweet And he suggests in his tweet, the Sanders campaign manager, that the Trump administration leaked classified intelligence without context to weaponize against Bernie. That's a very strong charge. Do you agree? Well, I don't know how that information ultimately came out. What I am worried about is the politicization of intelligence by this administration. Uh, The new acting head of intelligence has no background in intel. He is a Trump loyalist. And I think we all worry Uh, about this administration controlling massive amounts of intelligence, massive amounts of classified information, uh, and leaking it out to the press when it advantages them. I have been very worried about the kind of information the Trump administration keeps classified. Uh, There have been multiple instances of the Trump administration keeping classified information that might be politically embarrassing to the president, um, but actually doesn't hold any true national security classified information. So the weaponization of classified information, I think, is something that we are more worried about, uh, especially with this new acting director of intelligence. What are you talking about when they say they're keeping information secret because it might damage them? You're talking about the John Bolton book? What do you what do you mean? The John Bolton book certainly is an example of information that may not actually need to be classified, but is simply embarrassing to the president. The information regarding Mike Pence's uh, meeting uh, in uh, regarding Ukraine that was kept classified during the impeachment proceedings involved no classified information. The only reason that that was classified was because it would have hurt the president's case during the impeachment trial. Um, I want to ask you about your recent meeting last weekend, I guess, with Iranian Foreign Minister Zarif in Munich. Uh, President Trump said this week uh, that he thought your meeting was illegal. Take a listen. I saw that there's a Senator Murphy... Uh Met with the Iranians? Is that a fact? I just saw that on the way over. Is there anything that I should know? Because that sounds like to me a violation of the Logan Act. The Logan Act, as you know, but our viewers might not, is a law that bars unauthorized citizens from negotiating with foreign uh, governments. Uh, did you tell the president or the State Department you were going to meet with Zarif? Uh, and if not, why not? I did. You I did. Okay. I alerted the State Department uh, ahead of time. Uh, it is, of course, my job as a member of the Foreign Relations Committee and as the top Democrat in the Middle East subcommittee to meet with regional leaders, even our adversaries. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, um, it's dangerous that this administration is not talking to the Iranians. The Trump policy on Iran has been a total disaster. Iran is more powerful today than they were at the beginning of the Trump presidency. They've restarted their nuclear program. They're shooting at U.S. troops. They're offering up more support for proxies. Um, I'm not negotiating with Iran, but it does make sense for somebody uh, to be listening to them and to be engaged in some level of outreach as perhaps a means of trying to avert crisis uh, and disaster down the road. Uh, We only have a couple minutes left, but I do want to ask you about the 2020 campaign. Uh, One of the issues that you're known for the most is pushing for further regulation of firearms, guns. 
Uh, during the 2016 campaign, Senator Sanders was asked about whether the victims' families in the Sandy Hook, Connecticut uh, shooting should be able to sue gun manufacturers. This is what he said. Do I think the right the right victims yeah. of a crime with a gun should be able to sue the manufacturer? That's your question. Correct. No, I don't. I think there are grounds for those suits, but not if you sell me a legal product. You responded on Twitter saying, quote, Bernie is a friend, but this is really bad. Democrats can't nominate a candidate who supports gun manufacturer immunity. Now, since then, he has changed his position. But do you still have concerns about Senator Sanders' position on guns? None. Uh, None. Senator Sanders has stood with us over and over again on expanding background checks, on taking these dangerous assault weapons off the streets uh, to the extent that he had made statements in the past uh, questioning whether or not victims' families should be able to sue manufacturers. Not just statements. He voted against it. He's changed that position. Uh, He has been an ally. Every single candidate in this uh, Democratic primary has taken a very strong position, has made it clear that they are going to make it a priority uh, to solve this epidemic of gun violence if they get the nomination, if they're elected president. Do you have any concerns about Bernie Sanders as a Democratic nominee in terms of his ability to beat President Trump in November or how much he might hurt down ballot uh, Democrats uh, who are in more moderate districts? I do not. I think Bernie Sanders will beat Donald Trump. Uh, I think Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump. I think Elizabeth Warren would beat Donald Trump. Uh, What we need is a candidate who has a base of enthusiastic supporters, uh, who's authentic, who speaks truth to power, who can throw a punch and who can take a punch. I I think anybody that's polling in the top four or five fits that bill. Um, But uh, Bernie's base of support, the enthusiasm behind him, um, I think speaks to the strength of his candidacy, both in the primary, but as a general election candidate as well. Are you, it, that was very strong. I mean, are you endorsing him? Or are you supporting him? No, I'm not endorsing anyone. I think that this primary is going to be a test of who is ready, who's tough enough to take on President Trump. Remember, only 5% of the country has voted yet. I mean, I, Bernie's done very well in the opening primaries, but um, this thing is n- not a done deal. Uh, any of the candidates who are polling well in these early primaries, um, and Mayor Bloomberg still has, I think, a very good shot at the nomination. All right, Senator Chris Murphy, Democrat of Connecticut, we appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Could the next week and a half determine which candidate becomes the Democratic presidential nominee? We'll take a look at the upcoming Democratic contests with our panel next. Stay with us. In Nevada, we have just put together a multi-generational, multi-racial coalition, which is going to not only win in Nevada, it's going to sweep this country. Senator Sanders believes in an inflexible, ideological revolution that leaves out most Democrats. That was the projected winner of the Nevada caucuses, Senator Bernie Sanders, declaring victory as his rival Pete Buttigieg tries to stop his momentum. Let's discuss. Uh, Alexandra, let me start with you. Uh, Congratulations. I know you're a big fan of Senator Sanders and Senator Warren. Um, uh, What do you make of the Buttigieg attack on Senator Sanders that his ideology is inflexible and leaves out the Democratic Party? I understand he's likely to be the nominee, at least based on today's facts. Uh, But is there room for Senator Sanders to try to expand uh, his rhetoric to make people feel more included? Well, I think that we should just take a look at the results of last night's election, which show that Bernie Sanders is actually the one that is creating a broad coalition. You know, it's pretty unique, I think, in American politics to have someone that is not only bringing in young people, uh, people of people of color, communities of color that have been historically not you know, ignored 
uh, by both parties, but he's also bringing in moderates. He's bringing in the white working class that all of the DC pundits so much obsess over. And so it's a pretty big opportunity. I am now. I am. But but it's true. Like we always talk about, you know, the Obama Trump voter, and it seems like Bernie Sanders is not just appealing to to those people. He's he's appealing to all of America, and I think that's what's extraordinary. I mean, now, what, what do you do, do? You think that he can be stopped? Senator Sanders? I think there's a long way to go. We, we have 54 more states and territories left to, to give delegates. So, I mean, pump your brakes on everyone who wants to say that we have a nominee. But Bernie Sanders uh, put, you know, an amazing performance yesterday across the board. Um, he has another test, a larger test, a more looming test in South Carolina this week. Because the question is, can he expand his base? Can he expand his electorate? Um, and I don't know the answer to that. If Bernie Sanders wants to be the nominee, he cannot be swept throughout the South. That doesn't bode well going into a contested convention. And so we'll have to see how well he can do. Um, he will, we'll have to see how well he can do with black voters in South yeah, Carolina. Yeah, the argument there is that, if, if, if I'm a Democrat, is, well, we're going to lose the South to the general election. So the fact that Joe Biden can win states that we're never going to be competitive in in the general election really has no consequence. Well, that's not the, the, with all due respect, I'm, I'm pointing out the fact that in the South, you have the backbone of the Democratic no, no, Party. No, I get it. Black voters, I, like I, the I Democratic and that, Party. And that, and that is essential. I get that. I get that. Wisconsin, but, but, Pennsylvania. But, but if I'm the Sanders campaign, I'm saying, look, I can win in Pennsylvania. I can win in Michigan. I can win in these states where I'm going to win in, in the Democratic primary. And, I, and I'm not going to we're not going to win Alabama. We're not going to win South Carolina. So the fact that Joe Biden can win there really is of no well, consequence. I think, Let me just ask, know, well, I, can yeah, I just I, ask you about the Latino sure. vote for one second? Yes. Because this is part of the of the, of the th- argument uh, Sanders is making. Sanders won, according to entrance polls in Nevada, 51 percent of the Hispanic vote in Nevada. And he says, Look, with that vote, not only can I win Nevada in the general election, I can win Texas. I know. And I, frankly, that was the most surprising thing to me of the entire evening was the 51 percent of Hispanics who voted for uh, for Bernie. And I think it has to do with his saying, I'm going to give you free college. And by the way, I'm going to wipe out your debt. If you happen to have gone to college and gotten yourself into debt, I'm going to wipe it out. But the problem is the real winner last night, I believe, was Putin. I mean, we're going to have the most divisive election. If Bernie is the nominee, we are going to see two very, very angry people representing two very different extremes of their parties. And I think that helps make America more chaotic. It makes us more divisive. And I think the one that gets advantaged by that is Russia. And I think it's it's interesting. You know, I, I hear that progressives are labeled as divisive. They're labeled as this tiny fraction of America. But I think, you know, obviously it's only the first four states. But this is a huge indicator. He won 51 percent of the Latinos. You know, everybody was saying that Joe Biden's firewall for South Carolina as black voters. Well, the same can be said with Latinos for Bernie Sanders now. Uh, and this is a community that right now is being targeted by the Trump administration. I don't and, think it's because Bernie's of a bunch of free Bernie. stuff. I think it's actually because he is doing the work and outreaching Bernie to a community has that not hasn't been, been great talked to. on immigration. He voted against a 2007 uh, immigration proposal that actually you know, but he has also listened to movements of young Latinos on the ground and is also one of the only two presidential candidates that is calling for a moratorium on deportations within the first hundred yeah, days. I, I want to take the take issue with what uh, Linda said, which is that there, you know, two two folks, angry people representing the extremes. I, I would agree with that with Bernie Sanders. He is represent he is he is representing no no question the extreme of the Democratic Party. I mean, he says he's a socialist. So and he's angry. I agree there, that that. Donald Trump is not representing the extreme of the Republican Party. I mean, he is he is 
crafted a new Republican Party, but I, I wouldn't say it's an ultra conservative. Uh, well, I mean, he's, let me just, he's, let me he's say, I hold actually on, agree on. with Rick, which is hold on, hold on. He's rare. not because I mean, this guy's not for Social Security reform. He's not for Medicare. He's not for reducing. The, so if you want to look at, quote, the extreme hard right, that's not yeah, Donald cultural Trump. issues, he is representing the extreme. He is divisive, this is, with all due respect, this is Donald Trump's Republican Party. And it's going to be Donald Trump's Republican Party for the for for the next two decades. I mean, he has completely transform, transformed conservatism in the United States of America. So I, I don't make, think I would make the case he's I, Rick Santorum's Republican Party because I was the guy that was writing about blue collar conservatives and working with with middle income people. And that's what Donald Trump has done. So we're just going to we're going to keep this conversation going. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. We'll be right back. It's a big threat, not a tall one, but a big one. Michael Bloomberg, he argues that he is the safest bet to beat Donald Trump. He's not safe, he's just rich. Senator Elizabeth Warren taking direct aim at Mayor Michael Bloomberg last night, who, by the way, didn't even compete in the Nevada caucuses, including Warren taking a shot at how tall Bloomberg is. Is uh, let's discuss. I, I thought that was kind of. I was surprised you by that. You want to know why Elizabeth Warren is not doing better? It's because of things like that. I, I mean, I know pundits love it. I know it makes for great television, but it turns people off. It turns me off. I, I just, you know, I thought she came across as nasty during the debate. I think that kind of comment is beneath her. Uh, it, it reeks of desperation, and I think that's the reason that she never really emerged as the candidate people thought she was going to be. I think the biggest question that Elizabeth Warren has to answer is where does she win? I mean, she had these vaunted ground games in New Hampshire and Iowa and Nevada, and she's placing fourth, fifth. I mean, her highest finish was third in, in Iowa. She's not going to win in South Carolina. So the question is, where does she win? And she treats Michael Bloomberg like a pinata. She hits him and money falls out, right? And so she has she has $20 million that she's raised recently just because of these attacks. So it will keep her in the race for a while. But I just don't, even she can't articulate where does she win. So I want to ask about that because when Alinda talks about uh, Elizabeth Warren seeming angry, nasty, uh, and, and the, Rick said that about uh, Bernie Sanders seeming angry, you don't deny that they seem angry, and you think that it's okay because there is a reason people have for being angry. Yeah, I think that there are a lot of Americans right now across the country who are suffering and that are really hurting. We have people that are rationing insulin and having people die because they can't, they can't get access to it in time. They're going across to the Canadian border, to the Mexican border, to go get their prescription drugs. Uh, you have 60% of Americans that if they got an $800 emergency bill, they would be out on the streets. That is the America that we're living in right now. And so, uh, yeah, I think a lot of people are angry and they're really upset. And I think the polls are showing that they don't see it as some angry person. Like, And, and I think the other thing that we have to remember is that Elizabeth Warren has a lot of credibility also with the movement. She stood by people during Occupy Wall Street. The progressive when, movement. Yeah. Yes, when not a lot of people did. She built the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau from the ground up and has prioritized working families for her entire career. And so Michael Bloomberg, mm -hmm. I think the question that we have to ask ourselves as a Democratic Party is, if we're supposed to be the one that represents working people, why is a billionaire but at the Alex, top of the ticket? I, I have to sort of, you know, hit you back on that. Sure. Going after Wall Street, destroying Wall Street also destroys the wealth of many average Americans who have their pensions in it. 
I mean, I just think this idea that we're going to divide this country again, it's, you know, the idea that it's going to be Bernie Sanders and, and Donald Trump in which we have these very, very angry voices out there. Again, that plays right into our enemy's hands. It makes us look like a country that is so divided racially by class and by other things that um, that we can't possibly lead the world. And I think that really harms America. I think people want to protect Main Street, not just Wall Street. Anymore. Well, I, I would say that the division that we're seeing play out here in, in, in presidential politics reflects the division that's in this country. I mean, all you have to do is look at uh, at what we see on social media. Now, is that a clear reflection of the country? I don't know. But if, it, if it's anywhere close, this is a very divided country. And, and, it's, and Donald Trump showed that within the Republican ranks, the angry person who came out there and, and said, you know, we're tired of being pushed around and, 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 st- and making the claim. Donald Trump makes the claim for working, uh, working Americans. And, and contrary to what you just said, which I'm not, I'm not validating any of the stats you came out, he can go out there and make the claim. You know, lower income Americans are actually doing better. Poverty rates are actually better. I mean, he can make a claim and he will mm-hmm. that that his policies have actually helped working Americans but, much more but, but than anything that, that that Bernie Bernie has to say. But Bernie's Bernie's appeal but, is same as Trump's, which is I'm going to fight for you and I'm, I'm going to beat is, the man, which is which is which is, which is counter because we, we're not sure what Michael Bloomberg's message really is, right? So Bloomberg's going to play this looming role on on Tuesday, and his only message is that I'm going to make it rain from the heavens above, right? And we're going to just have an ad war, and I can compete because I can say that uh, Donald Trump cheats at golf, or he likes his steaks well done, or he eats them with ketchup, right? Those Nothing, are bill, just so people understand. Those are billboards that he's put up. Not, yeah, not, not a big winning yeah, message. Not a big winning message. Like at that. least he had. At least Bloomberg has a message that gives hope to Americans. Where? No, I don't. Oh, no, I think um, his, his ads talk about what he's been able to do in healthcare. It talks about. Uh, his performance. I mean, he, just, he just doesn't give. He doesn't. He doesn't give a lot of hope to a lot of black men in this country. I can tell you that. This, this, well, actually, he gets huge. black votes, and and you know he got more you know support among the black community according to polling than a lot of people. Well, would we'll, have. I mean, we'll have to wait. This is really. That. This is really important. Michael Bloomberg is trying to do the same pitch of I'm going to run America like a business. I'm going to run a ma- I'm going to be the billionaire savior so believe in me and that is what I think is yes, the same as Donald Trump, that is what I think Trump of Donald Trump I, I, except I think I think that no, the American people I think that the American people the right now where you see Bernie Sanders rising nationally his entire movement is not me us it is about prioritizing the working class of this country and Michael Bloomberg is in direct opposition to that wonderful panel thanks so much for being here really really appreciate it it doesn't sound like you guys have coalesced around a candidate no, no. I, have to, I have to say no endorsement from this panel uh, coming up. So exactly what lessons did President Trump learn from his impeachment? That's next. If it seems longer than just 18 days since President Trump was acquitted in his impeachment trial, that may in part be because since that moment, the president has packed in quite a bit of business with a remarkable focus on rewarding loyalists and punishing his perceived enemies. Almost immediately showing the door to key impeachment witnesses, Ambassador Gordon Sondland and Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, plus Vindman's twin brother, who did not testify. Pushed out just a few days ago, Pentagon Policy Chief John Rood, who had privately urged the aid to Ukraine to be released. U.S. Attorney Jesse Liu saw her nomination for a Treasury Department job yanked this past week, according to an administration official. That's because Liu's office supervised the prosecution of convicted felon and Trump friend and confidant Roger Stone. 
whose sentencing the president tried to influence a few days ago by attacking the prosecutor's sentencing recommendation, which the Justice Department then dialed back, prompting all four prosecutors to resign from the case. It's a lot to, ta- lot to take in. In his latest stop in his vengeance tour on Friday came the resignation of Acting Director of National Intelligence, Admiral Joe McGuire. McGuire had, under oath, vouched for the integrity of the intelligence community whistleblower. One of McGuire's subordinates also briefed the House Intelligence Committee about continued election interference by Russia, and, he, and she asserted that the Russians have a preference for President Trump. That's a charge a national security advisor told me may have been a mischaracterization, since right now the intelligence is that the Russians have no actual preference, though they do think they can work with President Trump. McGuire was just replaced by U.S. Ambassador to Germany, Rick Grinnell, who has no intelligence expertise, but has been a vicious pro-Trump attack dog. Grinnell immediately forced out the number two intelligence official in the U.S. government, Andrew Hallman. Also brought into the president's inner circle, 29-year-old former body man John McEntee. He was fired from the White House in 2018 because of security clearance issues. Now he's the president's new personnel chief. And on Thursday, McEntee told cabinet officials to be on the lookout in their departments and agencies for appointees who are disloyal. One former Trump aide said to me that the president demands personal and unqualified loyalty to him and him alone, not to Constitution or rule of law or God or country. Now, what might that mean going forward for our government? Well, we might have just seen it. Senator Bernie Sanders acknowledged on Friday that he had been briefed that Russians were interfering in the Democratic primaries and helping his campaign to disrupt it all. And then National Security Advisor Robert O'Brien, on a different channel, misrepresented this intelligence, stating that the Russians, quote, want Bernie Sanders to get elected president. That's no surprise. He honeymooned in Moscow. Now, remember, the intelligence, per that national security official, is, quote, that there is no preference right now, not Bernie, not Trump, unquote. The Russians are helping Sanders as part of a campaign to sow discord in the Democratic primary. So I asked that national security official, why did O'Brien say that? He said, quote, perhaps his first instincts, O'Brien's, are more political than that of a national security professional. And that national security official noted that on Friday, President Trump had said this about Putin. Wouldn't he rather have Bernie, who honeymooned in Moscow? The national security official said to me, quote, by saying that O'Brien injected himself into the campaign by commenting on a potential rival. If he's willing to say that as national security advisor, what does that mean for the next nine months? And what is he doing when the camera's not on him? President Trump was impeached, but not convicted, for abusing his office to get reelected. Senate Republicans said they thought he'd learned his lesson. What lesson does it look like? The president learned. Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria starts next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.